Hello and welcome to this Sustainable Wine podcast. This is a recording of a conference session that took place on the 2nd or 3rd of June 2021 as part of Sustainable Wine's Future of Wine Americas Conference 2021. We'd very much like to thank the sponsors of that conference, BSI, Bodega Argento, Jackson Family Wines, International Wineries for Climate Action and Avenea. Thank you to all of those groups for their important support and I hope you enjoy the session. Welcome everyone to our session on soil health. We call it the black box of soil. I did see a quote somewhere at some point saying we know more about the deep ocean than some parts of our soils. Uh, I'm not sure if that's entirely true, but uh, certainly there's a huge amount of research going on and a huge amount to do to understand what happens in soil. Um, We had a speaker yesterday who sounded more like a microbiologist than a viticulturist. Uh, And that's kind of where we're heading, isn't it? It's really understanding what's happening in different strata of soil and so on. So delighted that we have um, some real experts here to discuss it. Um, We'll we'll do a quick round of introductions. Then maybe, Christine, I'll ask you perhaps to start off because, of course, you work in, I believe, the Soil Health Institute works in many areas, not just in in viticulture. Perhaps you could begin uh, and then we can turn to our our, our vineyard experts. Um, So why don't we begin with some brief introductions. Christine, why don't you give us sort of 30 seconds on, on who you are and what you do? Okay, hi, I'm Christine Morgan. I'm a soil scientist and uh, I work as a chief scientific officer at the Soil Health Institute. Um, a lot of my projects are we're working on um, measuring and assessing um, soil health. So most of our work is in row crop agriculture. We have done some work in uh, vine lands. And um, yeah, so I mean, We work on measurement, we work on the economics, we work on education and training, um, but most of my background is research and development and outreach and measurement of soil. Right, well, thanks for joining us. Jordan, why don't you go next? My name's, yeah, Jordan Lomborg. I'm the viticulturist at Tablas Creek Vineyard in Paso Robles, California. Um, It's a 280-acre property, uh, certified organic biodynamic and recently regenerative organic certified. Um, Soil is everything to us. Great, look forward to hearing more about that. Miguel. Hello everyone, thank you for the invitation. Uh, Miguel Garcia with the Napa County Resource Conservation District. I manage all of our programs related to water and soil conservation. So that includes assisting uh, our local vineyards with soil health assessments, interpretation of soil data analysis, and I also assist them with the development of carbon farm plants, which uh, aim to implement carbon-friendly practices that put more carbon into the soil and also enhance soil health. Great, thank you. So Gabriel and, and Facundo, tell us about yourselves in Chicana. Yes, sir. To do it quicker, I will do both. Uh, I am Gabriel Bloise, a winemaker from Chicana since 2006. And he is Facundo Bonamaison, uh, who is the vineyard manager since about 2009. Uh, and we are uh, deeply dedicated to organic and biodynamic um, viticulture since 2011. Um, and, and that's all about it for us. Great. Well, thank you. I'm conscious that within, within the subject of soil, our, our title is quite a general one about research and how to improve soil health. But um, Christine, I've worked with your colleagues before in in other agricultural areas we work in. I'm aware that you have a a wide array of experience. So it'd be great to hear from you first on how the the research is evolving um, and how we um, perhaps know a bit more about what we can do to improve soil health. So over to you for some some opening comments, Christine. Okay, well, I did want to actually share some pictures because it's kind of hard to talk about research without like showing uh, some of the data. But the first thing I just kind of wanted to level set with all of us on like, what is soil health? Everyone is farming different soils, right? And different soils have different capabilities. And this is a great example in this picture, just to level set and think about what soil health is. It's how your particular soil responds to management. What are its uh, processes? What, what, What is it doing on the landscape? And in this example, again, this is row crop agriculture because that's where most of the data and most of the pictures and most of the investment is in, in general. But this is the same soil under two different types of regenerative ag practices. In this particular case on the right-hand side, there's no tilling and and all the residue is left on the soil surface. 
And you can see there's been a rainfall in the background on the left-hand side in the more conventional, we have runoff and erosion. We have puddling of the water. Um, the water is just not cycling very well on the left-hand side, where on the right-hand side, it's cycling really well. And that's just the concept of soil, soil health and using regenerative practices. It's about what your soil can do, recognizing that every soil is different. Uh, at the Soil Health Institute, we've done a pretty extensive study across North America where we've looked at different soil health um, measurements and associated with man management practices. We've looked at 124 sites in Canada, Mexico, and the United States. This is pretty hot off the press kind of data, but what it's showing is, is these soil health um, measurements that are really important to us, like aggregate stability, this is the resistance of the soil to um, erode. And it's also how kind of an indicator of how well the soil is going to cycle water and carbon. And we can see that as we decrease soil tillage, we have an improvement in aggregate stability. We have an improvement in what we call carbon mineralization. Uh, this is a 24 hour incubation. It's just a, a basic lab measurement that we could take but essentially it's showing we have better ability to cycle carbon in the soil or improved ability. And then we also are storing more soil organic carbon in the surface of the soil. And we have the same response when we look at decreasing tillage. In the middle, we have a change in cover cropping. Again, we have an improvement in these soil health metrics. And then we, as we um, add organic amendments rather than um, just inorganic fertilizer, we have a lot of these same responses in carbon. Um, and so, you know, the main story here as carbon goes, so does soil health. And so that's just kind of like one of the big picture items to think, but there are a lot of co-benefits to increasing soil carbon, which is generally what we're talking about when we're talking about soil health. Another example on the x-axis here is, this is clay type or amount of clay that's in the uh, soil. So it's recognizing that every soil is different. On the y-axis, it's available water holding capacity. This is the, the water that's in the soil that's available to the plant. And again, this is a model on top made out of real data. And what we're showing is showing is as you increase soil organic carbon in your soil, you also increase the available water holding capacity. So that's just kind of like one of the questions we were supposed to talk about today is how regenerative ag practices affect soil health. And um, we can see that it helps with drought resilience, uh, carbon cycling and water cycling. Um, and of course, nutrient cycling. I just don't have um, hot off the press data on that. Now, the biggest problem is most of this data comes out of row crop agriculture and grazing lands, and there's not a lot out there on vineyards. And there's a meta-analysis in 2013 that just looked at carbon in vineyards, but if you look uh, you know, here's California. There were six studies in the Mediterranean basin. There were 63, and you can see a few um, in the Southern hemisphere. But really when you start looking at these and trying to get information about carbon storage, because that's kind of a nice proxy for soil health, we can get some basic information that yes, we're increasing carbon as we implement these regenerative practices compared to non-regenerative practices. But what we really found is that vineyards were not well represented. Vineyards uh, may have greater potential to store carbon than we understand because we don't have a lot of measurements. And a lot of the measurements were very shallow. And that's kind of one of the points I wanted to point out today. There's not a lot of data on it, but when we look at soil carbon in vineyards, um, we know that the soil carbon has a deep profile. So here on the, on the uh, x-axis, we have total organic carbon. And on the y-axis, it's soil depth. So we're going to a meter deep, which is pretty you know, deep. And what's happened here is we're looking at the carbon profile of a continuous grass system. So that's in the green here. So this is kind of like you know, grass. And then we, they took this grass system um, and took parts of it and converted it to vineyards. And we have a vineyard um, that's harrowed, um, so it's tilled, and then we have a vineyard with grass cover. And what we can see is that we have a pretty good carbon distribution up top with a vineyard that has grass cover. But then as we go deeper, we can see that we're increasing carbon in this vineyard over time. 
Um, and I think this was a, yeah, this was a 10 year study in a Mediterranean climate. So carbon's going deeper when we go from a perennial system, I mean, from a uh, grass system to more of a woody system. Um, and that's maybe one of the benefits of looking at carbon and soil health in vineyards. Um, yeah, so I just kind of wanted to say a few things about that to um, kick us off on, you know, what do we know? We know that regenerative ag practices improve water cycling, nutrient cycling, and we know that they can also improve what the carbon looks like, but there's not a lot of data in vineyards. Thank you. And what are your views on, on no-till versus till? I mean, you know, it's been the, the, the experience of gunsmoke farms has been well documented. I'm sure you've read about it, the General Mills uh, experiment where um, you know, it's, it's been accused of having a negative impact because the organic practices have meant they've been using tillage. I just wonder whether the tillage bit fits into your research. Or, or oh, yeah. Tillage is, <laughs> you know, I, so I had, I had another um, graph that I just cut because I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it. But if we look at, again, this is in vineyards, this data, but if we look at going from continuous to till tillage in a vineyard to reduced tillage to no tillage, there's an improvement for just reducing the tillage, but there's a bigger improvement to going to no till. And most of the data is again, very slim, is very clear that the less tillage you do, the better off you are. If you're and and that goes not just for carbon, it goes for soil uh, water holding capacity because every time you till, you're just breaking up the soil and you're removing its structure. You know, if you ever look at pictures of bones, you know they have like this structure to them, and just think about smashing that every year. There's just no pores, and when you have uh, no pores, you you don't cycle water, nutrients, or anything very well. There are some. There are some that say that you can then have an impact on on yield, and that you know we've heard, heard some people say at this conference that for them it's still a necessary thing to do. But uh, I guess you're suggesting that generally it just shouldn't be done. Well, what I'm saying is that any time that you can reduce it, there will be benefits to to the soil health, right? Like that's that is not. Um, you know, I, I didn't really look at data on like viticulture and, and yields and things like that. You know, I'm purely speaking to uh, can you water cycling, nutrient cycling and carbon storage in the soil. Great. Well, um, moving to vineyard experts then, Jordan, um, Tablets Creek has been doing a lot on soil health for many years. So um, what have you learned in, in recent times about improving it? <laughs> Yeah, this past year or last couple of years, we, we got involved with the Patagonia and Regenerative Organic Certified. Um, before then, it was more about just trusting the process, you know. So we have 250 sheep that we graze during the dormant season. We use mob grazing tactics, give them about an acre a day, move them. Uh, we cycle them through the blocks probably three times a year. Um, we've been experimenting with no-till situations, um, and then we do till. I mean, we have 35% of the vineyard is dry farmed, um, you know, with the high clay content in our soils. Tillage is a necessary tactic um, without it, without creating that dust mulch layer on top. Uh, you know, we experience temperatures well into the 100 degrees for multiple weeks out of the summer, so that soil will crack if you don't disturb the top couple inches and you lose all that moisture that you were hopefully storing um, the previous winter. Um, you know, what we have found through this process of working with regenerative organic certified and, and labs like Cornell's cash lab, uh, soil health and tillage, I think it really, it depends on what type of tillage you're you're conducting. You know, are you are you using really aggressive discs to pass through blocks? Are you using forms of vertical tillage like a spader? Um, you know, some of the blocks that we tested where we use a spader and this implement it's a form of vertical tillage and it drives cover crop ten inches to the ground, no, no matter how tall it is. <clears throat> Those, those soil samples came back with 
the highest amount of nutrients, uh, nutrient availability, the highest amount of soil carbon, the highest amount of organic matter, um, which kind of opened up a lot of eyes. And I think one of the things we have to remember when we're talking about grapevines is we're farming in a perennial system, right? And those grapevines are spreading throughout the vineyard floor. So it's really easy when you're talking about row crops or field crops to, to make a distinguishing characteristic between no-till and, and, and tillage. But when you're talking about a perennial farm, I think there's a little bit of leeway there, you know. Well, where, the, the data I showed was for vineyards. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I'm just, I'm just speaking to the, the results that I've seen. I think it's, it's just, you know, it's very situation dependent. Beyond that, beyond tillage, I mean, animals, what they've done for our vineyard, you know, we really started intensively grazing probably four years ago. And what we're seeing in, in, in say, low spots of the vineyard or more the healthier soils uh, sections of blocks they're moving microorganisms, microflora and fauna from those spots as they're grazing and bringing them up to the areas of the vineyard, the higher areas of the vineyard where there's less soil. And they're dispersing all of that microbiology evenly throughout the, the, uh, the planting. So, you know, any, any time you can incorporate animals into a system, um, I think your fertility is just gonna go through the roof. And in terms of how you measure progress what does that sort of technology look like i mean i i did hear from other areas of agriculture that constantly sampling soil and sending it off to labs you know is pretty expensive so um, how do you do it and, and are there more cost efficient ways than constantly sending stuff off to labs yeah i mean with with uh regenerative organic certified they're requesting samples be done every three years um, so you, you take your samples at various depths within the vineyard, and then there's only a handful of labs that are actually testing for what, you know, that, that certification is looking for. So, you know, Cornell's cash lab is testing for organic matter, um, the, the carbon content, active carbon content. Uh, those are the, those are the two key factors that they're keying in on as far as the certification is concerned. And I think they're going to want to see, you know, if, if those levels uh, um, rise, the, the, you know, the positive levels rise over the course of three years and it will be, you know, continue on with your, your process. But if there you start dipping, then, you know, you got to look at your practices a little bit deeper. It's kind of tough for us because we've, we've been farming organically and by debt biodynamically and regeneratively for as long as we have. So it's, it'll be interesting to actually start tracking these numbers and, you know, can we be better? I don't know. It's, it's going to be a tough call. Yeah. And I'm guessing that um, the more you do it, the more you feel the wine tastes better, but I guess there's a bit of cognitive bias in there as well, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, um, Gabriel, uh, Facundo, let's hear from you guys. What have you been doing to improve, soil health uh, what, what have you learned and and how do you measure things i mean there's, there's so much to ask isn't there love to hear your your headline thoughts okay at first uh, just i would like to say that we have experience uh, i mean we started uh, working in, in in this winery and when it was conventional so we have the we have done the the transition and definitely there's no doubt that uh, there's a big change so I mean, we, we have gone from compaction and, and dying vines to a, a vineyard full of life uh, with a very nice yield. So uh, actually what we try to do every time, I mean, there's no doubt uh, it works perfectly, uh, this type of agriculture. Um, the discussion of till or no, not till uh, is difficult in, in our region because we, we sometimes have uh, frost events. So um, we will try to share very quickly uh, what we have done uh, this is one example, and we, I mean, we, we keep uh, trying new things and trying to understand how it works. Uh, they are all related to, of course, to regenerative uh, agriculture. Uh, at first, um, just to put in context, uh, in Argentina, that might, might be the, the difference uh, between other places, um, soils are very poor. So we are talking about less than 0.5% organic matter. Uh, so the big issue for us is... Um, 
you know, how to promote life in a very dry environment uh, with uh, nothing that retains water, uh, texture of soil rice. Uh, I mean, following, we could have uh, clay soils, but uh, then we don't have rain uh, in Mendoza, in the, in the Pleuro. It rains about two, three millimeters every year. And it does uh, always in vintage time. So it doesn't rain winter or spring when we actually need the water. Um, and then, as I said, something very, very important for us in the places we, we work is that we face uh, almost yearly frost events, early and late frost, which the late, late frost is uh, the worst because it's when, when the vines are already waking up. Uh, so the, the, the losses are, are big. Um, and of course, um, in order to, I mean, it's difficult to face a frost event uh, with the soil covered, uh, which is, of course, what we want to, to create. Then I will try to say, as we, we understand uh, soil helpers, uh, the following things, you know, biodiversity. Uh, of course, we, we, we've been, I mean, we are here to talk about cover crops um, and all the microbiology that is related to it. Uh, soil porosity, of course, also helped by, 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 this, um, by these crops. Uh, soil moisture, which is very important for us, uh, and we do irrigate, so it's, uh, it's something we, we, I mean, we can in certain way manage. Um, irrigation can be tricky because we, we can have different sources of water. Uh, we can use subterranean water, which is not very good. We can use river water, uh, which is uh, never enough. Uh, so depending on what source you use, uh, you, for example, could cause a problem of salinity. So that's another thing <laughs> we need to account. And then soil fertility, which is, I would say, uh, for us, a big challenge to create fertility in a natural way uh, in a dry environment. So um, let's say that our challenges are, are, are those, are uh, to keep a vineyard alive uh, and to, to avoid the overgrowth uh, in vintage time or the not desired uh, growth uh, when you already have uh, the, ripe, the, the ripening process. Uh, and then is when we have the most uh, rain. Uh, so for us, cover crop has to do with uh, helping us with that, for example, trying to use uh, them to suck water from the land uh, when the vines don't need it. Um, then it will be maybe difficult uh, to have a healthy environment uh, in, in that uh, scenario. For example, I mean, we, we have run a trial, which is very fun. Uh, that's why I want to show the pictures because we have uh, used corn uh, as a cover crop um, and corn, you know, grows too high. <laughs> uh, but we, I mean, we succeed in this and this is what we like to share. Um, then, uh, the second challenge, uh, apart from water, is of course to to save the vineyard from the frost, and that compulsory make us uh, leave the soil naked uh, in spring, which is a pity. Uh, and we we don't need to do it. Is something like Jordan said. We we don't need to do it in all the vineyards. So some parcels we can leave uh, each other raw with a, I mean with, with no till, uh, but then. In certain places, we have to, I mean, we have to leave the next soil because it, it helps a lot um, taking the radiation of the sun and, and helping as a, as a passive uh, method. Um, then, as I said, uh, in a dry environment uh, with such low organic matter, it's very difficult to, to keep soil porosity. Uh, of course, we measure bug density. This is uh, the way, and we work. We also um, measured how hard is the soil. I don't know how is the tool uh, name for, for that uh, for that test. Um, and of course, we, we take care about uh, soil salinity. Uh, so based on, on this context, um, we have looked for a for 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 a cover crop or or a, we we call it a service uh, crop uh, because it serves uh, the land and it serves us. Uh, that could also uh, give us a social or, or economic uh, advantage. Uh, of course, that help us um, avoiding the UV radiation uh, in summertime uh, and in vintage time, uh, so we, we don't lose uh, humidity. Um, then uh, we have looked for also tall things because 
something very um, uh, aggressive. Uh, for example, in our land as a weed, it's a Bermuda grass. So if you shade it, it doesn't grow uh, quite well. So it also helps us with um, uh, like controlling, you know, the, the, the very aggressive uh, other herbs, which, uh, which don't favor uh, diversity. Um, and of course, what, what we look for is to have a, the, the most biodiverse uh, vineyard we can, because we, we understand that as, a, as an immunologic system uh, for the vineyard in terms of microbes. Uh, so based on all of this, we have chosen corn um, and we ran a trial. Uh, we planted corn uh, each row. I don't know if I can share my screen. I will try to do it. Oh, uh, yep. Oop. So this is the, the corn. Um, how, how we, I mean, when, when we planted, this was uh, January, maybe. Yeah. Remember, we are opposite, so this is January. Same. It doesn't look uh, white or snow, but uh, it's South America. Um, this is how tall it went. Uh, and of course, uh, anyone that uh, manage a vineyard will see this and, and will think we are crazy, uh, but we are not. And uh, the vineyard kept safe um, and, and it worked very well. I mean, we didn't have any problem uh, of uh, fungi diseases or anything. And did we have any treatment here? Uh, um, copper? One, one treatment. Just one spring. copper, copper, um, uh, copper uh, spray in spring. Um, this is, uh, I mean, of course, we, we have measured uh, the, dry, the, the dry material we create and, and the roots uh, the soil have eaten. We like uh, thinking about the soil like uh, eating roots and like feeding, being fed by roots. Uh, and this is winter time. Um, after this, we have uh, put down uh, the corn uh, just to create the mulch and, and, and keep that, uh, that environment. But uh, sadly, in spring, this is one of the parcels that we have to till and, and leave uh, completely naked. So we ran this trial and we got uh, the following results. I mean, what we measured, I will stop sharing. Yeah. Um, we have measured, uh, we have produced an equivalent to 1.1 ton per hectare of roots and an equivalent to 2.3 tons per hectare of dry matter over the surface. Um, and this is equivalent to about uh, seven nitrogen units. Uh, of course, this is not the, the um, something very important. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm reading my notes. Um, the main crop, I mean, of course, we left the control. Uh, the main crop uh, had the same yield, uh, about eight, 80, 80 tons per hectare. Um, sorry, eight tons. Eight. Uh, um, we manage kilograms. Uh, Eight, ton per, eight tons per hectare uh, in, in, in the control and in the trial. So it didn't affect the, the yield. It didn't affect the mast uh, composition. So the, the wine, uh, and I said already, the, the grapes were healthy. I mean, they didn't show any fungi disease and also the vines. Um, so we, I mean, we're very excited with this. Uh, and we have also um, run other trials uh, with uh, Baker's wheat, uh, and we have produced also biodynamic uh, floor. Um, and this is also important. We have used the corn to feed animals and for people. Uh, so there are a lot of things we can do. Uh, we think we have helped the soil, uh, and and in in extra we 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 have grow uh veggies we have also um tried with the uh, sorghum tomatoes garlic uh apart from the classic uh which is old rye and clovers and also uh some insights about this is that we could combine um corn for example with uh legumin uh, legum legumes uh so we we can choose uh the service um crop uh in order to balance carbon nitrogen or, or in order to create different things into the soil so uh this is just an example and we wanted to share it with you uh and i don't know we are open to talk about it thank you <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there'll be lots of questions 
a quick one on on cost. I was just looking at your wines on Wine Search, and they're not expensive. Um, so you know, you don't have these, I guess, these huge margins that some do. So how much does all this cost? I mean, that's always a factor, isn't it? Do you you have to justify that, or how does it work? Look, we um, we have uh, this is a big discussion, uh, of course, um, which is the wine cost. <laughs> Um, in our experience, uh, producing uh, organic and biodynamically uh, have increased the cost uh, about 20 to 25 percent, uh, the operative cost. Of course, uh, there are, I mean, there are a lot of things that need to be accounted uh, because we, I mean, we are pretty sure that uh, organic biodynamic vineyard lasts much longer than a industrial or, or conventional. Um, and I would say in our experience, as soon as we uh, turned to organic and biodynamic, uh, we had a very um, uh, shortage in production uh, at first, the first uh, years. Of course, since we've been conventional, we've been selecting all the bad things uh, and they, they were pretty aggressive when we stopped uh, spraying poisons. Uh, uh, but now, I would say after uh, 10 years, uh, it's amazing how uh, higher yields. But in our, um, also in, in our context, yields depend a lot on frost. So uh, I would say the cost of the wine could vary a lot uh, depending on we facing a frost event or not. Uh, but generally, I mean, uh, talking about the management, uh, it doesn't cost a, a huge higher cost. Uh, we also have higher costs than usual in the winery because we like making the wine. I mean, apart from, from taking care uh, in the vineyard, we make wines with no additives known at all. I mean, just sold for if needed. So sometimes, I mean, we, we have an, a completely no intervention uh, management. Uh, sometimes this can drive us to, for example, to, to lose some volumes because they go wrong and we don't react on time uh, okay. so i would say it's, tr it's a tricky question and i sorry it took too long to to answer no it's okay uh, i'm just uh, amazed i mean wine searcher says your most expensive wine from where i'm sitting is 19 euros um and so it's amazing <laughs> we have more expensive all of that with, uh, with that unit price amazing um well let's come back to that um i'm sure there'll be lots of questions but let's turn to Miguel. Um, Miguel, I'd love to hear about your experience of improving soil health in, in Napa and, and anywhere else you've worked. So Miguel, over to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to resonate what Christine was saying about the importance of developing this kind of research so that we can understand precisely how the different management practices can impact soil. So I've been following the work that the Soil Health Institute has been doing for many years now. And when I came to Napa uh, close to three years ago now, uh, I wanted to continue with that, that, that same trend of research. So we have done a substantial amount of research, very similar to what the Soil Health Institute has done. We have done it in vineyards. Uh, just like Christy mentioned that we have a lot of gaps there. Uh, we're trying to fill in those gaps. So uh, the big portion of my job is to work with the farmers directly and provide technical assistance on the day-to-day -day management of their soils and their water as well. Uh, but at the same time, we, we try to develop and establish uh, trials and, and try to conduct our own research so that we can really understand how these concepts that we know, how they work. We know uh, in general terms how different management practices may impact soil. We want to know how that is impacting specifically in vineyards and in our region. So one of the things that we have done is we actually partnered up with the resource conservation districts in our neighboring uh, counties of so Mendocino and Sonoma uh, to develop what we call ourselves the North Coast Soil Health Hub. And I put in the, the website uh, on the chat, which is soilhub.org. And we use our website as a centralized location to share all the research that we're doing in the North Coast related to soil health in vineyards. So one of the things that we've done is uh, we have established trial sites throughout the three different counties. So far, we have uh, nine trial sites. Two of them are here in Napa. And the, one of the ones here in Napa, it's in, in a vineyard that is owned by us. Uh, we have about 23 acres in the Carneros area here in Napa County. And we have several trials. The largest uh, or the longest running 
one that we have is, is precisely looking at what it was being asked earlier, which is the till versus the no-till. So we have uh, alternate row tillage, meaning we have rows that get till adjacent to rows that don't get till. What makes our research trial unique is that we have rows that have not been tilled in 25 years, right next to rows that are tilled every year. And we collect soil samples every three years or so. And what we have been seeing so far is that after 25 years of not disturbing the soil, uh, we have been able to introduce about 1% more organic carbon than the rows that are tilled every year. And 1% might not seem a lot, but it, it is significant. And it takes a long time to reintroduce 1% of organic carbon, but we have seen that the long-term impacts of tillage, at least in our uh, heavy clay soils in the Cornelius area, is the, the, the loss of organic carbon. Uh, along with that, uh, I, I like to always emphasize that carbon, it's, uh, I, I like to think of it like a currency. To me, carbon is the currency for soil health. If you don't have adequate levels of organic carbon in your soil, uh, your, your soil health is just not gonna be there because carbon uh, contributes to the biology, to the, to the physical properties of the soil, to the chemical properties of the soil. So in the case of our trial with just 1% difference in organic carbon, we're seeing significant uh, more nutrient um, capacity, uh, much greater water holding capacity, uh, the soil is just more robust. It's more uh, resilient towards uh, rain erosion. And we're seeing that the vines are doing fairly better in the, the sections where there's no, no tillage. Uh, that's one trial. Uh, we have another trial that we actually did the opposite. We, uh, this is a commercial vineyard that there were uh, no till for five years. And we asked them, can we come in, give us a small section and then let us till. Uh, so after five years, we switch uh, a small portion of the vineyard to, to uh, intensive tillage uh, because we were interested to find out if after so many years of uh, leaving the soil alone, allowing the soil to build the organic carbon, is it one pass enough to pretty much cancel out all the good that you did? And we're still waiting for data because we just collected soil samples this year. We established that trial three years ago. So we collected soil samples. When we first started, we just sent soil samples again uh, for analysis. But one thing that I'll tell you is after just one single year of tillage, the, the physical integrity of the soil was affected significantly. And the way that we do it is it's a very quick and dirty method. Uh, there's a lot of videos on YouTube that tell you about the slake test, S-L-A-K-E, the slake test. Uh, essentially, you take two chunks of the dry soil and submerge them in water and then see how quickly they disintegrate. And this gives you an indication of the robustness of the soil, how well can it sustain uh, water and wind erosion. And we saw that after one year of, uh, after five years of no-till, just with one year of coming in and tilling, the physical integrity of the soil was cons considerably uh, compromised. So after this year, when we look at the data and actually analyze how much carbon is there, water holding capacity, biological activity, all of those things, we will be able to tell much more precisely how uh, the, the degree of, of the impact of, of tilling. So more to come on that. And we update our, our website, soilhub.org with all of this. Uh, besides that, our biggest research right now has been going on for about four years, where over the three counties, Napa, Mendocino, and Sonoma, we have been collecting soil samples, uh, different vineyards, uh, with the idea that we wanted to see how different management practices impact soil health. So these are vineyards that we don't establish trial size. We just go collect the soil samples and then record what the management has been. And so far we have sample about a hundred vineyards, uh, close to 600 soil samples. And what we're gonna be doing with that is uh, we're actually gonna be developing a database that will allow us to figure out the patterns on how different management techniques are impacting soil health. And with that, uh, we're gonna develop a soil health scoring card for our region. Uh, because we're doing it with our soils, with our climate. But we hope that that will pave the way for other regions that, so that they can replicate the work that we've been doing in vineyards. So we hope that by this time next year, we will have all the data analyzed, we'll have the scoring card, and we will be able to tell our, our growers, if you send soil samples to a lab, this is where you compare to the rest of the region based on your soil type, based on your microclimate, you are in the green, you're in the red, you're in the yellow, 
And then with that, we hope that we can provide some sort of uh, guidance as far as what kind of changes they can make. But very preliminarily, what I can tell you is that, again, the tillage versus the no tillage. Uh, we have about uh, 15 to 17 different analyses that we use to score soil health, physical, biological, chemical. Uh, and every time we have compared till versus no-till, the no-till always scores higher in the soil health, in our soil health chart. Uh, the use of herbicides under the, vine under the vine also tends to score much lower because there's no vegetation, there's nothing to protect the soil, there's nothing to actually introduce carbon into the soil. Uh, cultivation under the vine scores better than herbicides, but the, the greatest soil health scores that we have seen under the vine has been for those that have a, a cover under the vine where they just mow. So essentially just leaving the soil alone, keeping a cover. And then for in between the vine rows, it's every time that somebody just mows a cover crop and just leaves it alone, tends to score better. Uh, so this is preliminary. We're, we're not seeing any surprises. We're pretty much seeing the same thing that Christine was, was showing us with the row crops. So the only thing is that we're now implementing it into a vineyard setting. And with that, we hope that we can adapt uh, to our, our own regional uh, farming practices because just like Jordan say, uh, in a lot of cases, this can be uh, situational uh, dependent. So the fact that we're seeing that no-till and cover cropping has a good impact in soil health doesn't mean that it's going to work everywhere. It doesn't mean that it's going to work to the same uh, effect everywhere. Uh, but it does give us a pretty good indication of the, the general trend. Now, earlier uh, yesterday, uh, I'd like to uh, repeat what Jessica said, that it's, it's about creating a balance. So what we're seeing is that, yes, if you go no-till, you would have a great uh, benefit for your soil health. But that's not the only thing you're trying to do. Say, I'm a scientist. I'm not a farmer. I work with farmers and together we try to figure out the, the right balance. What is best for your operation? And what is good for somebody might not be good for someone else. What works for somebody might not work for someone else. So I like to develop these general concepts on, on soil health to bring it to the farmers and try to talk about uh, how we can implement that to the fullest without compromising anything else because they know their operation, they know their objectives. And it's important for me to respect their, their own objectives. I cannot just go and try to impose my will. I need to make sure that I give them that flexibility. So to that end, what I tell people all the time when I talk to them is like, look, this is the general concept. It has been proven. This is the data. We are confident of, of how this is gonna benefit your operation. If you are interested and you don't wanna risk uh, just try it on a smaller scale. I ask everybody, if you try it in your vineyard, just separate one acre, half an acre. I've done trials in a third, a quarter of an acre. If everything fails, which it won't, I will never suggest something that it will completely kill the vines. But if somebody is not too confident about trying these things in a fuller scale, I will tell them, don't try it in an entire vineyard, try it in a smaller scale so that you can see for yourself how these concepts are applying to your operation, to your soil type, to your water quality, to your farming equipment, to all of that. The only caveat to that is that people need to be patient because if you try something for a year, uh, in a lot of the cases, you might see a decline in your soil health before you see an improvement. So it's very important to be patient and it's very important to keep going. Uh, I always like to say three years is the minimum, but sometimes it might take up to five years for you to start seeing the full benefit. So don't give up, keep trying. And then uh, after three, four years, you will see what is working and what is not working. And then again, resonating what uh, Julian said yesterday, you cannot manage what you don't measure. So it is very important, even if you don't have any trials, it's very important that you continually send your soil samples to a lab so that you can keep track of your soil health. So if you see some declines, you can take action. And if you're doing trials, it's very important that you also keep track of what's working and what's not working over time. So very, very important to send soil samples uh, for analysis so that you can be able to make decisions. So that's in general what, what my work uh, here in Napa is. Great. And how widespread is a genuine interest in these areas you're working on in, in Napa? You know, we, I'm asking you to make a broad generalization here, but I'm just trying to get a sense of how widespread percentage <laughs> yeah. of the interest is in, in, in taking this really seriously. Absolutely. I, 
Yeah, I will tell you that I am. I haven't. I have not yet have to go uh, the extra mile to convince people. We have uh, yearly workshops. They're very well attended. Uh, I work in other settings, uh, other crops in other parts of the country, other parts of California, and in in those in some cases I have to go really the extra mile just to convince somebody to open the door so that I can talk. Here in Napa, I'll tell you everybody that I've talked to so far. Uh, in the two and a half years that I've been here, everybody has been very receptive. I'm sure there's a group of growers out there that are a little more skeptic, but so far everybody just is very, uh, they have a, a huge hunger for knowledge and they want to do these things. They just want to make sure that they're provided with the right information. So my job is to disseminate the science, present it in a way that is accessible to them, but no problem at all convincing people so far. Great, thank you. On that point, uh, Christine, You've been listening very intently. Justin Howard Sneed had a good question for you. How do we get more videos to do research and, and share data and your experience in other, in other crops? What advice would you offer? Well, I think that uh, Miguel offered the best advice. Start small, you know, start where you're comfortable. And if you value it, measure it. Um, team up with somebody who knows something about soil measurement. In my experience, I just think a lot of money is wasted on soil measurement. There's measurements that are taken that are not so useful. And, um, you know, it's just important to work with someone, a soil scientist or an agronomist that's familiar with uh, soil measurement and how those measurements would be interpreted. Another thing I will add to that is that there's a lot of funding, at least here in the U.S. I'm not familiar with other countries, but here in the U.S., there's a lot of funding for farmers to establish trial sites or even... Uh, for example, the USDA has an incentive program where if you are implementing these kind of projects, they will pay you to continue doing it. Uh, and also they provide research uh, money. So there's an, uh, a branch of the USDA or a program of the USDA, which is called the Sustainable Agricultural Research and Education, S-A-R-E. And the, every year they provide funding. Uh, will Drayton from Treasury was speaking yesterday about their biochar trial. I helped them with the application. They got about $25,000 to establish a biochar trial, very small trial, but they got the money to do it. So there's a lot of funding for, for farmers here in the U.S. to uh, establish this. So I always suggest you reach out to your local USDA offices, to your local resource conservation districts, because most likely there's money available and you can start small and then expand as you see fit. Great. Thank you. There was another question on this topic for, for you, Jordan, from from Justin about whether or not you work with the Paran family in France, who obviously historically Tablas Creek has had a connection with. Um, you know, do you share dynamic research with them? How does it work? Uh, yeah, we do. They, they, you know, one of the Perrins will come over um, for blending trials, typically once or twice a year. And, um, you know, we, we started farming organically because of Bocastel. Uh, they, 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 they adapted that farming practices in the early 60s, I believe. Um, but what we're actually starting to see is more questions, you know, it, it shifted. They're now looking more to, to what we're doing at Tablas as opposed to Tablas looking at their practices. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely the line of communication is, is wide open between the, the, the partnership and um, I think that they're really interested in what we've been up to, you know, our grazing program, our biochar program, our composting program, I think is really interesting to them as well. Okay, great. Uh, Gabriel, you had a question from Miguel. I'll, I'll let you ask it yourself. Are you on yeah, mute? You're on mute, Gabriel. Sorry, sorry about that. We didn't, there's wind here, so we didn't want to make noise. I was asking to Miguel if uh, he has in mind any trial to test uh, biodynamic uh, preparations effect on soil. Yeah, so part of that, part of those 100 vineyards that I mentioned for our research projects, some of them are biodynamic. Uh, one thing I will tell you is um, I, I, I don't tend to use the concepts of biodynamic or sustainability because they mean different things to different people. What I try to emphasize is implementing the right uh, management practices to enhance soil health. But when it comes to the biodynamic, it's, it's just so much more enhanced because the introduction of animals, the introduction of organic amendments, the introduction of um, just different management practices than what we consider conventional tend to have a much better, a much faster improvement in, in from what I have seen. Um, we're still working on analyzing the data. So uh, 
by this time next year, I, I can tell you much better, Gabriel, uh, on the specifics. But just from my general experience driving around Napa County, um, I can tell you that uh, I tend to perceivably see better improvements on biodynamic systems than conventional or even in some cases organic, uh, depending on how they, how they do it. Thank you. There was an interesting question about altitude. Um, you know, Shikana is at 3,000 3, meters. Is that right? 3,000 feet. 3,000 feet, yeah. yeah. He can't be 3,000 uh, meters, sorry. I'm so and European. we are close to sea level. Yeah. Um, so how does altitude affect this? I guess at 3,000 feet, you've got fewer you've got fewer diseases to deal with. Is that right? I would say that altitude, uh, in our experience, altitude uh, has not a big uh, impact on soil health. Uh, it does in weather. I mean, the... It's more influenced by weather conditions and sun exposure, I would say. Uh, so in Argentina, uh, we grow generally from 600 meters uh, to 3,000 meters. But uh, of course, at 3,000 meters, which is uh, in, in another region, north of Mendoza, um, there are other challenges. Uh, and it can be a very extreme uh, condition. But in, I mean, the, the, the biggest production from Argentina, let's say 95 or 90% uh, is within uh, 600 and, and 1400 or 1500. In those conditions, there, there, I don't think there's a big impact of altitude uh, in soil health or microorganism uh, life. Uh, it does more, I mean, the, 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 the thing that does uh, bigger changes is the weather, if it rains, uh, the, the weather is always dry, the soil, uh, those things. It's I hope I replied the question. Temperature and rainfall are the ma major drivers. So as altitude affects that, it affects temp and rainfall. Thanks. Um, here's what might be a controversial question. I interviewed um, a guy called Dave Powell a couple of few years ago from... Uh, well, he used to uh, he used to be a very um, used to have a very famous wine brand called Torbrack, and now he has another one called Powell and Son. And he said in the conversation about biodynamics that in his context in Australia, he was actually concerned about vines becoming too vigorous, and he didn't want he kind of didn't want too much happening because he wanted his vines to struggle a bit because that's how he felt they could make better wine. I've not really heard anyone else say that, um, but he was very sure of. Uh, of that as, as something he was concerned about. And I wondered uh, what the views were on that. Jordan, uh, is that anything you've, you guys have ever thought about? <clears throat> uh, no, no. I mean, as, as far as great quality is concerned, I think that more comes down to irrigation tactics and timing as far as water is concerned. It's vigor for me. I mean, I I always say I don't farm grapes, I farm leaves. Um, more leaves I can have on a canopy means more sugar. So um, I, 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 an extremely vigorous vineyard, I, I, I welcome that any day of the week. Thanks. Uh, Gabriel, Facundo, same for you. Yeah, I would say that um, we started the transition uh, to these practices with Alan York that you might know. Uh, he was a wonderful person and we miss him a lot. Uh, and he told us this, uh, that the first years we will hate it, but then we will uh, be not able to stop it. And I would say after 10 years, it's amazing when, when we get the proper management, uh, the vines really, really uh, react very well. And, and we have uh, been facing increasing yields uh, and, and very nice, uh, I mean, in, in a very nice way, quality and yield. Uh, of course, as I said, um, we are very much affected by, by the weather conditions, but uh, the, the vineyard in general, if we want to keep constant uh, that variable, uh, that's much better and we have higher yields. And of course we see the soil, the, the soil changes. I mean, the soil has been improved uh, a lot in the last 10 years. And this is, I think, what we all uh, pursue. Uh, and, and this is, I mean, uh, you can't be confused about that. It's, it's just amazing what it does. Okay, thank you. Kathy had a question for you, Miguel. Uh, she asks, in your experimental plots, are they dry farmed or watered? I have plot, I have a trial sites on both. Uh, dry farming, it's not uh, too common here in Napa, but we do have quite a few. Uh, so one trial that I have on a dry farm would be 
Uh, they're going for, they're organic also. So they, they rely on a lot of tilling in order to get rid of the weeds. So we established a one third of an acre trial where we're not gonna touch the soil anymore. Uh, we just established it this year. We're gonna try to establish a permanent cover crop. And we have soil moisture probes installed below down to five feet, five, four and, and three feet, also temperature sensors. So the idea with these would be to monitor over time how the transition between the intensive tilling and the dose mulching to no tilling has on, on moisture, which for dry farming, it's the most important thing. We wanna make sure that whatever moisture is there. My hypothesis on this hopefully will be that the reduction in tillage will increase and enhance the water holding capacity of the soil, uh, but we will collect the data and see, and see what we see. And we're trying to replicate that in a couple of different dry farming operations here in Napa. So a little bit of both. Thank you. A final question for you all before we finish from Mark O'Brien. Um, worms. Worms. Let's talk about worms to finish off with. I thought we were going to get some technical geeky chat here. So let's talk about worms uh, and uh, um, you know, how important the population is, activity, health, measurement, etc. Christine, worms, what do they mean to you? I think worms are just an indicator of how disturbed or undisturbed the soil is. Um, there are other macrofauna in the soil that can be just as important and equally indicative of good soil health. Thank you, Jordan. Right now, I have one crawling across the concrete outside, but that's about, <laughs> that's about it. Jordan, over to you, worms. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to say that we have a, a ton of worms. I, I, I um, unfortunately, our soil is of a certain type and our temperatures get to a point that they do where you don't typically see worms every day in our vineyard. You know, we are, our, the first 12 inches of our soil is pretty dry by, um, by September or October. So there's not much worm activity going on up there, but we are more focused uh, on the other organisms that Christine had mentioned as well. Right, thank you. Uh, Gabriel, Facundo, any, any views on worms? Yes, we, we do produce compost uh, using worms. Uh, more or less same experience in Jordan. We, uh, we don't see a lot uh, because to, to have worms in the soil, you need to have like a, uh, the soil at the stage of uh, being decomposing a lot of things. Uh, and because of the weather and the low uh, percentage of organic matter and hum low humidity, it's very difficult to find worms uh, in the vineyard soil. So we, we do compost with, uh, with uh, worms and then we use the compost for uh, compost tea or, or just uh, burying the compost. But it's not very usual to, to, to see worms in the vineyard. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, Miguel, has it all been said? No, um, partially. Well, I agree with Christine. Uh, worms, to me, are also an indicator species, just like we use frogs as indicator species in, in the rainforest. Uh, to me, worms are an indicator species. So that's the, the question of what came first, the chicken or the egg. Is the soil healthy because there's a lot of worms, or are the worms there because the soil is healthy? And I like to think that the worms follow the healthy soil. And then once they're there, they establish because if there's no food for them, there's no habitat, they're not gonna go there. So I spent a lot of time digging. I spent a lot of time touching, smelling, hearing the soil during the late winter, early spring here in Napa. And uh, I can tell you that I can very uh, accurately see uh, where the healthy soil is in a vineyard or between vineyards, just by looking at the worm populations. Where I see the biggest, the juiciest worms and we send soil samples out, they come back and they, they, they pretty much uh, tell us that yes, where the, where the soil is the healthiest is where these worms are, tend to grow the bigger, the biggest and, and the healthiest. So um, I always encourage people, obviously when it's dry, they're not gonna be there because they follow the moisture as well. But during the winter and the, the late winter, early spring, I always suggest for farmers to go out there and just dig around to see if you find worms. If you go and take a shovel off your soil and you don't see any worms whatsoever, uh, that's a pretty good indication that something is not right. And if you go and see a lot of worms, then uh, that's an indication that you're probably doing something right and, and your soil is healthy. So, you know, when we're kids, they tell us 
look up to the stars. What I tell people is look down, spend some time with your soil, smell it, touch it, get in touch with it, because it, that's the only way that you're going to be able to uh, truly tell how, how well your soil is doing. Thanks very much. Well, uh, we'll need to finish up here, but it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you all so much for offering your insights. I'm sure we've all learned a lot. Um, clearly, there's much more to do on research and sharing, and we will try and do our bit through our Sustainable Wine Roundtable, which we've started to try and uh, share some knowledge uh, on these issues. So we'll be uh, trying to work on that. In the meantime, uh, Christine, uh, Jordan, Gabriel, Facundo and Miguel, thank you so much. 